Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, and along with my co-host and all-around partner, Jack Humphrey, we have got another fantastic show lined up for you guys. Jack and I are partners in theleveragists.com as well as divisio.com at D-U-V-I-S-I-O. It's the new affiliate network for businesses who make an impact. And boy, oh boy, when you guys hear who our guest is and get to hear what he's all about, it's going to be one of those shows where you want to take notes all of the show. So, Jack, I will let you tell everyone who our guest is and what he's all about. All right, we have Michael Schmidlin on today, who is a serial entrepreneur who's successfully run his multi-million dollar home-based business for 20 years. He's affectionately known as the underwear entrepreneur, and he's a world-class expert at helping entrepreneurs use smarts and technology to beat the overwhelming odds to creating a thriving small business. Of Eleven Media, his company is reinventing magazine publishing by using state-of-the-art digital technology that allows content distribution for free via every digital device in existence. Celebrity thought leaders develop the content, and advertising clients are only charged for the ads that are read. And it is reported that he has a list of $1.3 billion with a B. So I really want to talk to him about that and everything else on today's show. Michael, welcome to Leverage Masters. Are you there, Michael? Well, he was here a minute ago. <laughs> Maybe he had to go mail his list. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. Let me see if I can find him. No, it says he's here and he's unmuted on our end. Michael, unfortunately, we are not hearing you. If you want, you can try calling my cell and I'll three-way you in. I just had an incredible conversation with Michael, and quite frankly, Jack, I just wanted to keep talking to him. I almost didn't want to make it to the show, keep him all for myself. (laughs) He sounds like one of those dynamos that we keep attracting to Leverage Masters every week. Well, and now is probably a perfect time for me to thank my dear friend, Ken Roshan, who made the introduction for us. I'm going to try and remute Michael and then unmute him again and see if that helps us any. Oh, okay, never mind, he dropped off. So let's see if he calls back on the platform or calls me direct. Here he is. Hear me? Can you hear me now? We can hear you. Yay. Yay. Technology technology is our friend. (laughs) I love it when it works. Me too. I could hear hear you guys fine. I don't, I, it was kind of odd. I felt like a ghost for a minute. Nobody could hear me. (laughs) Digital ghost. Yeah, exactly. Well, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we'll start you off like we do everybody every week and and ask you after that introduction, you know, uh, get right down to today. What is it that gets you out of bed today, every day, with a fire burning in your belly to greet the day and, and, uh, and do what you do? I have had a knack during the course of my career for kind of staying on the leading versus bleeding edge of technology. And it has served me well over the 30-plus years. I've been a member of the world's second oldest profession, the sales profession, which bears a striking resemblance to the first on many occasions. Um, (laughs) and, And as such, I've gotten involved with a lot of very cool and unique things. And 
I've had the ability to, um, you know, keep my finger on the pulse of, of emerging technology in a lot of cases, and I've had good experiences and bad experiences, like most people, uh, and, and I've managed to reinvent myself on about every 10 years for the last 30 years. And I'm getting to the point in my life and career where I don't necessarily want to go through that again in my late 60s. So I'm trying to figure out right now how I can make the biggest impact and kind of close my career out with a bang. And so I've spent the last number of years uh, trying to figure out, you know, how that was going to look and waiting for all the pieces to, to come together. And we're rapidly approaching a point from my perspective, where I think that's about to become a reality. And I guess we're going to talk about that. So what, what does that look like? What's, uh, I mean, you can't leave us hanging like that. Give well, us no, little, no, and I, and I didn't mean what's to. Going I'm on. sorry. I didn't. <laughs> uh, right now, I, I'm in the process of creating a hybrid digital marketing agency called Old Bulls Marketing. And it is targeted to 40-plus-year-old marketers, and it is a suite of products and services, including MagTitan and Digital Direct, the two services you mentioned in the intro, and a number of other things that I've come across as a result of relationships that I've established over the years. And it, it you know, it's kind of a unique approach to a problem that I see emerging. And one of the biggest things that I see going on is there are a great number of people in their 40s and 50s who've worked in a corporate arena for their whole careers, and they're not me mentally or financially ready to retire, but they're being forced out of those corporate positions. They're deciding to hang out their shingle, and they don't know what they don't know. I left the corporate environment to start my first company back in 1987. I worked for General Electric for nine years very early on, and uh, I figured out about three-quarters of the way through my nine-year tenure there that I was a little too entrepreneurial to work in a large structured corporate environment and operated from the premise that it was better to ask forgiveness than permission, and that, of course, didn't play very well with corporate management, as you might imagine. So it was kind of a logical progression for me to get into business on my own, and had successes and had failures, like most people do. So that's kind of the 36,000-foot yeah. overview. Yeah, cool. So uh, so in terms of uh, in the intro, we, we talked about a list. How in the world have you developed such a large list over all of this time? Are they all related to, well, over the three decades and the reinventions and everything else, now, some of that, of course, there wasn't list building going on because uh, there weren't lists yet, but uh, how does all of that progress? How does, how does your career uh, progress to this point? Well, actually, uh, from, the, you know, the, list the, digital the, part. the list already existed. We partnered with the company that has the list, and, and we have a rather unique business model from a list building perspective. One of the frustrations that we got – uh, probably two years ago when we opened up our digital publishing platform to outside publishers was that pu print publishers really still to this day don't necessarily understand the digital realm. And that's been a frustration of ours. We build a better mousetrap and, and expected that they'd be the path to our door and hasn't necessarily materialized. They're, they're busy rearranging the deck chairs and tuning up the orchestra. And uh, mm -hmm. so we created the Digital Direct service by leveraging a relationship that we had with a company that had this, this email database. And this email database has been, been being used by global brands like Nike and Ford and Coca-Cola for many, many years. And as such, uh, we created this list because the publishers, the, print, the, the legacy publishers were having issues with trying to build lists to increase their readership in their digital versions. And th th they made a, a, a what will turn out to be probably a somewhat terminal mistake in that they were giving the digital versions of their print magazines away and uh, subsidizing that with 
ads in the print publications, which is where they derived 80% of their income. Well, that's been in a downward spiral for a number of years now, and so they've created the expectation in, in a lot of people's minds that digital content is free, which is kind of the prevailing attitude about bandwidth and long distance and Internet and everything else at this point in time. And once that attitude becomes prevailing, it's kind of difficult to now start charging for it. Some people have succeeded in doing so. vast majority haven't. Yeah, it is a, it's kind of amazing when you bring up the publishing. It's amazing that there's still deck chairs and, and an orchestra to tune. I agree. Because we've kind of been calling this one uh, dead, <laughs> time of death, uh, every year for many years now. Um, I agree. They're amazingly people, resilient. They are. And people still really seek out like traditional publishing deals. And although, you know, it's it's very rare to ever get your – uh, up front, as I <laughs> as I hear, um, and and all of that kind of stuff, that the the, the world has changed, and and it's actually really kind of cool how it's flipped, which is one of the reasons I think it's weird that we even still talk about them to this day in in the same way that we used to, uh, and refer to them in the same way, because the people who people authors and publishers and artists and people are making themselves popular, and then they go to publishers and fairly with a really strong stance are able to demand what kind of a deal they want to the degree yep. that they have a huge army of people behind them digitally following them, liking their stuff and, and everything else. So I guess maybe it's really weird that those people are kind of keeping the publishing industry alive by going out and creating their own thing and then saying, hey, look, you guys need us. And <laughs> is that in your experience? Is that how it's been working out or is that, is that, am I off? No, absolutely, and that was our original business model back in 2015 when we launched Mag Titan was to have celebrity partners who had followings. And, you know, our attitude was, and we kind of had a catchphrase at that time, why rent the media when you can own it? You know, w w with the advent of, of digital communications, we had created a platform that allowed individuals and small teams to do what, magazine, what print magazines were doing with staffs of 100. And, you know, we've done nothing except make it faster and easier over the last two years since we launched it. And now you can put together a 100-page magazine if the content is ready in a matter of hours. And that's a process that just a year ago, even using our technology, would take, you know, days and, and weeks in some cases. So we're continuing to make enhancements and improvements to the platform, but that business model didn't necessarily work out the way we planned for a number of reasons. Uh, subscribers and, and, and the ability to go out and get advertisers were probably uh, our two biggest Achilles heels, quite frankly. So we addressed yeah. the subscriber issue with the digital direct list building service. We can put lists together for, from as small as 10,000 names up to half a million names. However, it's incumbent on people, and, and we do this by leveraging the database that exists and doing it via social listening. And by social listening, I mean that we go out and find Facebook groups, LinkedIn and Twitter accounts with huge followers, and then we match it to our database, and we generally have a 30 to 40% match. So we're not necessarily leveraging the database itself. We're using the database as a tool to build targeted lists. Hmm. So I was going to ask you until you until you mentioned that like why are we talking about magazines? Like magazine has it carries a lot of baggage, which I imagine is one of the things you found out <laughs> when you had to readjust is it magazine? We don't talk about magazines anymore, not in the way we used to. Do you think it's been beneficial or has it hurt to, to bring that word forward that's loaded with so much baggage of you know, the old world, the way we used to consume information, or has it helped? Uh, what's your experience been with that? Mixed. Uh, I, I do believe that the, the name of, the, of our product needs to change from Mag Titan because it no longer represents what we're doing. You know, we've created a platform that allows people, 
either individuals or even enterprise uh, applications to build fully interactive, more visually appealing digital content, whether it's a one-page product flyer or brochure or a 100-page piece of communications, marketing communications, fully interactive product catalogs, e-books. I mean, the platform can be used for virtually anything. It's browser-based, so it's a SaaS model. It can be embedded on websites. You can use the platform to build a website. We're not, we're not promoting it as a Wix equivalent or anything like that. But it is a kind of you know, a Swiss Army knife for digital communications, quite frankly. It's got built-in social sharing, so you can share this content on all your favorite social media sites. It's got built-in Google Analytics. We're talking about API-level integration with a number of other technologies as we move forward. Uh, and, and we're adding products and services all the time, uh, global translation and localization services. So your content can be uh, translated into multiple foreign languages, up to 80, and multiple dialects thereof. So um, yeah. this, is, this has become a platform for everything else that we're doing. So the, the answer is kind of a qualified yes and no. Uh, yes, so it's, it's really a, just a, a digital media company all around. Just you, you got your fingers in just about every kind of mechanism for delivering content that there is today, at least all the popular ones. You know, we, I, I half jokingly say that we've built a 600 horsepower supercar. It's bounced and blueprinted, sitting at the starting line, and it needs some nitro put in it. You know, our biggest obstacle has been one of exposure. Nobody knows who we are or what we've done. And, you know, shame on no. us for that. Well, one nice celebrity placement might just change all that. Who who have you been working with or who would you like to be working with that would, in your eyes, because uh, I know you've thought of this and you guys have been working on this, but, you know, like one of those, one of those services that's really neat, at least it's appealing in its marketing um, mojo you know you look at it like oh god this is great it was getting in front of influencers like you discussed earlier people with huge twitter followings facebook followings and if you can get those folks to mention anything about you or your product and instagram i just saw somebody a yoga girl uh doing a pose on the beach with a product in the sand right in front of her uh and then talking in her instagram update about that product and we all know that that was placed there, and she was paid sure. for that. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, that seems to be a really, uh, you know, if you can get anybody to adopt what you're doing that has some sort of a thing like that, that, that helps the company, right? Are you Absolutely. having plans toward Absolutely. that, or how is that working for you? Well, we, we've, we've tried to partner with some celebrities um, and, and had mixed results, quite frankly. You know, part of the problem is, depending on who they are, you know, they don't have the emotional attachment, the product, and the technology that we do. We get that. We understand that. And, and, and quite mm -hmm. frankly, a lot of them have, you know, they're juggling chainsaws and trying not to lose limbs. And, uh, you know, as are we. And uh, so I, I think we've, we've come to the, to the kind of the harsh reality that if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. You know, we can't rely on anybody else to carry our water. I mean, we've gotten, we've gotten people that have spoken on stage about our technology. Uh, a very prominent uh, founding member of the Shark Tank is, is one of our partners, um, publishing partners. And uh, so, you know, we've had some high-profile uh, successes. But, but again, for, for most of these individuals, having a digital magazine, which is how we got started with most of them, is only one small piece of their very big picture. And, and yeah. at the end of the day, you know, it's just that. It's just another cog in, in what they're doing. Well, for, the, for listeners, uh, you know, some of our listeners go back many, many years with us and uh, we go back, of course, many, many years, and we all can remember times, you certainly can too, yes, uh, when there was just a website. You had a very simple thing. There was even a time before WordPress for you youngsters out there where we had to build <laughs> our own websites. And uh, it was a simpler time in every way with a capital S. 
simpler time. I, I agree. And we were frustrated by how simple it was because when we had exhausted the three ways you could market yourself, we were done. There was nothing else out there. There was no social media. Then social media came, and then all the social media came. Then all the different ideas and spinoffs and things that everybody got excited about, and now it's dead. And you know, we call those just the MySpaces. And, and there's millions of them. Everything tries to spin off the successful things. Even Google failed yep. to do that with Google+. Plus. I mean, Google, if Google can't do it, what chance does a small business owner have with, in the face of all of these things? And you've really studied this because you've, you've been in the struggle. You understood the, publish, the old publishing model. You really understand the new publishing model and how diverse our choices are out there. And then people just say, and this is kind of what frustrates me too, They'll say, you know, a guru will say, um, focus on one thing that you like. If you like making videos, then go to YouTube. Screw all the rest of the video places. Start at one place. You can expand to those if you want to, but start at YouTube. And then people try to get you to start thinking about um, on this massive buffet where every piece of food on it is yelling, I am the best tasting food, of all the different places you can go to get the word out, to publish, to do things. It seems to me that a certain kind of person will look at that and know exactly what kind of food they want to eat from that buffet. A very rare kind of person, and I think it's the – rest of us who look at that and just are like a deer in the headlights sometimes. Yep. Like, what do I do? Well, how much do I, should I spend on, on my website now? Because once I put something up, it's dead the minute that I push publish until I go out and work like a dog on social media, to, you know, get all my people engaged, get them over to the site, watch my clicks. Hopefully the way that I have everything monetized is working you know, um, and, and that I didn't waste all this time. I mean, do you feel like people are out there second-guessing a lot of what they do as business owners, whether or not it's even going to work, whether or not they really have a home or a system where, you know, they feel like once they do something, it's going to be valued, it's going to get out in front of the right audience at the right time because they have all of their systems set up? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is it's really confusing for a lot of us anymore who would like to make the decision to focus in one or two areas and just become a great big YouTuber or a great big success on LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever it is, and then have all the other ancillary accounts to you that are less important to you but important and part of your network. I think everybody understands that concept, but man, it just doesn't seem like it's launching in a really big way for a lot of people. It just seems like everybody's like getting the idea but not really understanding really how we go forward as opposed to the world where we all came from, at least as consumers or kids or whatever, we would go to websites to learn things and read things, you know, non-big hubs of information. And now a lot of times people don't even know that they're not on a website. They're still on Facebook when they click to a lot of content that looks like it's going to a website. And uh, it's just it's just strange, I think, out there for publishers. What what insights do you have uh, after doing all of this work that you've done to date uh, in this area? The the internet has been a blessing and a curse to all of us. I would 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 offer as an observation. Um, it's enabled us to do so much with so little, but it's also simultaneously like trying to drink out of a fire hose. Uh, I mean, if mm -hmm. you go and do a simple search for any, you know, arcane subject matter or, or, or search term, and it's not unusual to get 10, 100, million, millions of responses back, you know, depending on how common the, the word or phrase may be. I mean, how do you, short of, you know, limiting yourself to the first three pages, how do you really know that those are the best uh, – the best solutions to whatever you're seeking, or are they the, the highest paid ones? In other words, did they pay a lot of money to be in the first three pages? I often drill down ten pages and find lots of nuggets. The average person isn't going to take the time to do that. I fully understand that. So, I mean, it's kind of a pay-to-play game, and, and, and you have to spend a lot of time and a lot of money to be successful. And then there's, no, there's still no guarantee you're going to get a return on that investment. So it is frustrating. You know, I've been selling for over 30 years, and, and you know, I can't tell you 
the Internet has allowed people to take information that you, based on your experience and expertise, provide them and beat you over the head with it. And it's frustrating sometimes. Mm. It really is. Yeah. But it's also given me the luxury of firing clients. I mean, I don't want to – I'm a transaction, not a transactional salesperson. I'm a relationship salesperson. And I've succeeded because I've established mutually beneficial long-term relationships over the course of my career. And I have not over-leveraged those relationships. I've not abused those relationships. On the contrary, I've been reluctant to ever try to leverage those relationships. I'm getting less and less uh, reluctant to try to leverage them at this point in my life because I recognize that I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize my long-term relationships with these people, but that I've proven my value over the course of our business uh, business dealing. Yeah. So, but, I mean, it, it is frustrating. It's frustrating as a small business owner who grew up without technology. I mean, when I started my first company, we didn't even have dial-up at that point. You know, we had a network in our office, and that was about the extent of it. And, and, and then mm-hmm. we had dial-up. And then came higher speed internet, IDSL and ISDN, and you know now we have broadband, and you know you can have a gig, a gig or faster connection, if you want to write the check for it every month, or move to another country. Yes, it, exactly. Although it's interesting, where almost got, every other country kicks our butt. <laughs> yes and no. I, I will share with you some very recent. I have uh, a business partner who moved his company from Sice. Cyprus to Brisbane, Australia, and I have a friend from here in Austin who just moved back to Barcelona. He was born and raised there. He'd been in Austin for four years, and he decided to move back. And they both, it took one about a month to get Internet, and the other one it took weeks. Yeah. So I I think that, you know, and, and obviously these are anecdotal experiences, but they're two different ones that are very current over the last couple months that proved to me that perhaps things are not as rosy as they are being portrayed, at least in those two instances. That's another thing. I think, I, I, think, I think a lot of people would blow this off and say, on the surface, this isn't really an issue. But I believe it is. Maybe you can tell me what, what you think about it. But there's a genuine and very large uh, and in some cases, healthy distrust of information on the Internet. And, of course, there always has been. But, I mean, yeah. to this day, when, when everybody's really hyper-aware that people are paying other people to shift people's ideas on things, and it's not just politics. I'm not talking about politics here. It's about products and services and things that, you know, uh, again, things that we started doing a, a long time ago. Like if you wanted to build a brand – a lot of people were out there building different websites that look like third-party websites, but they were built by themselves, and mm-hmm. then they put interviews with themselves on it. And mm-hmm. then they would build another site. And then all of a sudden in the top ten of Google, there's all these different sites talking about this guy who he built all those sites himself, and he yep. made them all look – and corporations have been doing this for a long time. It was really accepted. They will make up their own uh, – every time you see a commercial for Ford – J.D. Power and Associates and all the awards that they get, those are awards that the car companies give themselves. (laughs) And everybody kind of knows that. But, you know, it's never been – I don't think it's ever been as crazy feeling to people, a little bit out of control feeling to people as it is today. And, of course, anybody could have said that 10 years ago and probably been right then. But I I really do feel like there's a a genuine distrust of – things where you said that you had to build a network and you really have a network of people that you can rely on, that you can leverage. And I think people who are readers of what we publish and the things that we do as marketers out there uh, really have become to rely heavily on what their friends and family are saying about different things. And otherwise, without that proof, without their own network's buy-in on something, everything on the Internet is subject to, I'm not sure, I don't know about that. <laughs> And I don't know if, if we've all collectively, you know, kind of screwed ourselves a little bit in that regard because we all then have to, as publishers, work so much harder to make sure that people understand when we're legitimate that we're legitimate. When there's another guy in the industry 
who's not so legitimate appearing so. And it's, and it's a very convincing act in many ways. If you're flying through social, you're just scrolling like crazy, you can pick up on something and go, wow, I really like the headline of this. Um, it's the upside down letters of CNN. It's not really CNN, but I didn't see that because I'm going so fast, and that's what the yep. publisher's counting on. And now I've read a whole story of garbage that's just completely motivated by an agenda, not the news. And I'm, I'm, if I'm not really being aware or present, I just bought that. I just totally bought that. And I might even share that, not even thinking that I'm not sending something from a news source that I trust because it kind of looks like one and we're all moving so fast. But I think that's one of the biggest challenges today for publishers who – are legit, who have really great businesses, products, services, things that we want to get out there, things we want to do. And, um, and there's just this feeling on the Internet that's just an uneasiness toward any kind of link that you find um, on social media or, or in your email. What, what do you feel about that? Well, how's, how's, how are you working with people, business owners, through this morass of issues that we have to deal with that we didn't 10 years ago? Well, I, I personally feel like the word expert and guru are two of the most overused cliches in the American language. Um, they're meaningless and, and, there, <laughs> and therein lies the problem. Everybody's an expert, okay? And, and, and media, in their quest to fill a 24-hour news cycle, has created this monster, and, in my opinion. And, you know, I, if and when it, it does the inevitable swan dive to the street, you know, sadly, they're going to have nobody to blame but themselves. You know, they created the beast. You know, they want to be first with the story. You know, facts be damned. And, and every time there's an event, uh, and they're usually not positive events, you see the initial reports being completely discredited in a very short period of time because in their haste to be first, you know, there, there's very little concern about accuracy. Or truth. Well, the reward model is wrong, right? The reward exactly. model is whoever is first gains the biggest share of eyeballs, gets the most viral activity on what they've created. Then we've created a machine that will destroy itself. Yep. And so, I, like, we have these conversations a lot. Lots of people are having this conversation. And I think all of our listeners know what we're talking about here. What I would love to get into is – what do you think is the alternative? How do we get out of this mess? Because it is a mess that must be gotten out of. It can't sustain itself. It's eating Agreed. itself. And I think everybody agrees to some extent that that's true. But I, I never hear any conversations about what do we do about this? Is there anything we can do? Is, something, is some part of your model um, with your company or the discussions that you have with the experts around you um, – going to help lead us to something else? What's the next evolution? Well, I, I think that it's important, first and foremost, you know, I, I'm, I'm personally annoyed at all of the, you know, the Internet marketing community for their portrayal of, you know, fast cars and big houses and, and, and beautiful women. And there are a number of, you know, fairly young people who seem to think that, you know, that's the, that's the way to become an authority. And I'm a huge fan of authenticity. And, you know, we all have warts. We all have, you know, I, 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 I embrace my failures because they were errors of commission instead of errors of omission. And, you know, it, it's kind of hard to make mistakes if you're not doing anything, except in my opinion that is a mistake. But, you know, mm -hmm. I think that we need to strive for more authenticity and, and, you know, be careful who we assign authority status to. And, and that's, you know, that's difficult. It, 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 it takes time. It's time-consuming. And, and most people want instant gratification. So it's kind of, it, it's a problem. There's no question. And there's no easy, easy answer to it, as, as we both know. Well, I mean, sometimes I picture it like a bunch of heroin addicts. And in a, in a sense, this is a really good, you know, because there is a dopamine release. There is a reward for the crap that we do on the Internet. And I say Absolutely. crap in a loving way, but a very accurate way as well. A lot yeah. of this time that people are spending on the web is, is the most empty calorie junk time. Uh, and this is evidenced by having a pretty well curated uh, friend network on Facebook. I get rid of as much junk as I can and, 
and uh, really try to look for that authenticity. I really value it above everything else. And so I've tried to curate my presence on the web and the, the news that I get and everything as best as you can, but you can't keep it all out. And in my highly curated uh, Facebook, for example, existence uh, or experience, it, there is just an awful lot of junk out there, and, and with the junk comes junkies. And I just see a whole bunch of people. If you were trying to get people unaddicted to heroin, it's going to be very, very difficult when it's just laying all around them. And they'll mm -hmm. go, yeah, I know I need to stop this, and I know I'm going to be dead one day, and I know that I don't want to have any regrets of all the time that I've wasted or things. <laughs> you know, I know all of these things, but I'm just going to pick up this last pack of heroin. Yep. There's just no way that anybody can break an addiction when the stuff is laying everywhere that I can tell so far. But there are a lot of conversations like you just mentioned about authenticity and everybody just saying, well, there's nothing I can do about the group as a whole, but I can do something about how my company and, and me personally publish and, and so-called walk around the Internet <laughs> and, and be authentic. And it gives me great hope that these conversations keep coming up that it really depends on the individual, that there's nothing you can do as an individual right now to you know, change everybody's mind about how information and products and services are marketed and, and exchanged and everything on the Internet, but we can do that on an individual level. And more and more conversations like this pop up when, you, when, when a guest like you brings up, we just have to do it ourselves. We yep. have to make the decision that that's what we are about, and damn everything else. I want an authentic experience. I want people to have an authentic experience with me and my business and my product services, all that stuff, and that's where it has to start, right? Well, I, I feel like I'm imperfectly perfect. You know, what you see is what you get, and, and, and I've gotten to a point, quite frankly, from my perspective, which is pretty liberating in my life and my career, where – I, I recognize that not everybody's going to like me, and I'm okay with that. And secondly, I can't control it, so why bother about it? You know, I mean, why worry about it? It isn't going to change. So your your answer to that is not to escalate yourself above. Like a lot of people, they'll they'll get a hint of criticism or whatever, and then they have to go rent a Ferrari and stand in front of it to yeah. to overcompensate for yeah. what anybody thinks about them to make themselves look bigger than life and, and, you know, their Instagram is just like a professional photographer took every single thing on their Instagram. Mm -hmm. And it's just unreal. And, we, and can't a human being who's fairly well balanced look at that stuff and know deep down at least, at least subconsciously, that something's wrong with that? I mean, well, I have to have the faith that they, they can, but it sometimes makes me wonder. Well, I, I, I hope so. <laughs> I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, this stuff is cyclical. And anybody, you know, in our, in our age bracket who's been around a number of years have seen many cycles over the last 30 years. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that the cycles appear to be happening faster and faster. And, you know, short of censorship and, and over-regulation, I really don't know that there's an answer to this issue. I mean, it's going to have to start with us as individuals and, and, and grow into a movement because it's not going to happen any other way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've always really loved being on the, the crest of a wave, of the wave that's behind the wave that's currently happening so that exactly. I'm ready for that wave to crash against the shore and yep. I'm, the, I'm right where I need to be in the business and everything else. And I just think that a lot of people are getting full because you hear a lot more complaining. Like, I can't stand this kind of thing on the Internet, on my feed, on whatever. I, I, I do see a lot more of that. And it makes me cautiously optimistic as well that people will just get their fill of this thing and they're going to want meaning. And, in fact, there's a lot of people out there, millions of people out there who would really engage again with the Internet once there was more meaning to it, whatever they consider meaning, but they would definitely like the word authenticity. They would definitely love the word trust. Like, how can we trust something? Is there anybody that can help us? Is there a signal that somebody can send that, you know, we have gone through this thing, like a B Corp. You know, if you're going to be a B Corp, you've signed on to be all of these things as a corporation and do all of these things as a corporation to even be labeled as a B Corp. And I don't think that... 
we can certify every single business in the world, entrepreneur or whatever, maybe, and then they are trustworthy as, as they've gone through a process until they're not. They can throw that away. They can throw that trust and that reputation away. But I don't know. I think people are, are starting to get full. There's still millions and millions of people who are newer to the Internet and are still really wildly getting off on those snicker bar type empty calorie content things. Yep. And, uh, and we have to wait for, you know, well, we don't have to wait. Groups are forming now, but, you know, for everybody to get really sick of that and just go, ugh, I could just use a salad right now. I'm tired of all this junk food. I need a salad. And if we're making salad as publishers, we'll be right there to catch them when they come out of their stupor. That's yep. what I hope. Their sugar and almonds. Yeah, yeah. Then go to sleep for a little while, and then when you wake up, we'll have a bowl of salad here for you. <laughs> you yeah. can, you know, and we have an exercise program you can get on, and we have all yeah. these things that you can do to pull yourself out of this thing. I was talking to someone the other day about reputation uh, stuff and how, you know, digitally everybody from individuals who are just graduating college did some dumb stuff, like everybody does in college, but we didn't have the internet when we did it. So, <laughs> well, we did, but not like we do now, or I did, but, uh, you know, uh, and it captured all that stuff. And there's, like, individual reputation management that needs to happen on a ginormous scale. And then there's just a lawyer that had one too many drinks, so driving around town and got picked up and got a DUI. Really, really, really bad press for a law firm, especially if it's the kind of law firm that helps people with that kind of problem, you know, and, and they're – I mean, people are out there making mistakes, and everything's being documented, and it's very unforgiving. And we were talking about all of that. It's like that's a whole new big giant thing, although reputation management or rescue isn't new. It's just getting more and more. I mean, as we live more of our lives digitally and everything gets put up on the web, everything gets captured on the web, uh, it's just going to be more of a thing. So that authenticity thing is something that could even be taught to and, and encouraged for people who are just individuals who don't even have businesses. It's important really to everybody to really start to understand the power before it's too late and that understanding is forced on them by a situation that they regret that this is a really big deal here. And I think we sense that it's a big deal and we all started businesses and we're digital now and all that kind of stuff, but it's also very confusing because everybody seems to be scattered and have a flip attitude toward it at the same time. Mm-hmm. I've got two 20-something-year-old daughters and, you know, Dad has tried to share with them from the very beginning that, you know, things that end up online are there forever. And, uh, you know, just be very careful about what you decide to share and with who. And, uh, you know, there, 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 there's nothing else I can do as a parent. I mean, I can't force them to do anything. I can suggest and continue to reinforce it, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to make mistakes just like we did. And, you know, my job as a parent I've always viewed is, is to have those mistakes not be terminal for them or anybody else i.e. drinking and driving and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Well, to switch gears a little bit, so after we talked about all of these things, I was thinking again about your business and what you're looking to do going forward, what you have done most recently as well that have let, has led you to make the moves that you have. And, and one of the things that comes up out of all of this is just loyalty and it's such a we or attention and uh, attention loyalty, so that it's a repeatable thing that somebody's loyal to you, your brand, your stuff. So a publisher comes in and uses your service, and you've got to be able to tell them, you know, this would be your core. This would be your anchor. If you would allow it to be, it can be your anchor. Uh, and and I guess this loyalty thing comes from people who just use services like yours too, because they don't know what to do. There's a story that someone told a biologist told me about how owls hunt and there's always a mouse that's in a very safe place in the field it's totally safe and if it just stays there it will live through the night but the owl sits in a tree and hoots all night and the the, the mouse starts second guessing am i safe is he right behind me it's really i don't know and this has all been proven out in the studies you know in the field 
the reason that the mouses bolt more often than not is because the owl freaks them out. It's psychological warfare. And they're like, and that's when the owl comes in and grabs them. They were totally safe. They did not need to move. They could have gotten all their food for the night and everything in the area that they were safe. Do you feel like it's hard to keep or easy to keep, or what would you do to, to ensure that your mice don't flee and jump to another platform? Maybe, I mean, maybe this isn't for me and because there's so many choices, and you know all those other choices are out there screaming at them in their email, their retargeting ads, the, everything else. There's always people trying to scare your mouse over to their trap. How do, you, how do you deal with that in this day and age when there's seemingly not that much we can do about it other than work really hard on our authenticity and, and build those relationships as strong as we can? Well, I think it's important to listen to your customers first and foremost, what their needs are, what they view as the strengths and the weaknesses of your solution, and adjust accordingly. Uh, I mean, you can't prevent somebody from uh, you know, poaching your customers. It's impossible. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a folly, a fool's folly to, to try to do that. Uh, you can continue to offer the best value that you can and, and, and try to have the best product on the market. I mean, that's all you really can do. Um, yeah. We I know feel Gina like we've built a better uh, mousetrap. But, you know, our opinion matters very little at the end of the day. You know, it helps us go out and tell right. the story and, and to pitch the product as a solution you know, we, we kind of we have adopted the old Joe Weider business model with a digital publication being the very hub of all of your efforts. And, you know, he did it with Muscle and Fitness Magazine back in the day, and then he started mm-hmm. selling VCR tapes, and then he sold supplements, and, you know, he was doing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of business out of Muscle and Fitness Magazine back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. So it, it is a tried and true business model that we've tried to morph into the digital age. But well, and maybe the, maybe I was just going to say the evangelization of the model over. Um, what was it, how was I going to put this? So if we maybe told a different story, like a story about focus, like you have to sit somewhere, you got to stay there, and you have to have the discipline to put something together in this place, whatever that place might be, whatever medium or model that you're using, that you're choosing to use. But if you do that, I mean, your story about Weeder made my needle go up in terms of interest and then grokking and understanding what you're talking about, like the, the real importance of what you're talking about to my business. When you told the story about Weeder, my needle went way up. When When we talk about the different media types and things like that, my needle just kind of goes right down into the floor again. Understood. So maybe it's about Understood. storytelling. I, I think to a great degree it is. And, you know, I think th- there is certainly, and, and, you know, that's an emerging trend, obviously, in marketing is storytelling and authenticity. Those are two of the big things that, that I personally see happening. And, you know, people want to be entertained, and they also, you know, want to Want to, I, I, I'm a huge fan of, of continuous learning, and I recognized a long, long time ago that when you get out of high school or college, whatever you know, advanced level you may achieve, that the learning does not stop. The learning starts, but it's different. Then you're learning because you want to, not because you have to. It's not rote learning, and it's not being forced down your throat. You need to have this class to graduate something you're never going to use again in your life, but you have to have it. You know, and, and, and as such, I'm a continuous learner and always have been, and, and I'm, I'm self-made. I mean, I have a high school education, and I've been involved with very high-end technology over the years only because I had the desire to learn, and I learned a lesson very early on in my career to never represent myself knowing something that I didn't know. And I had the good fortune of working with a bunch of electrical engineers when I was at GE who used to love to make asses out of salespeople. They would bait them. I mean, it was a sport for them. And so I paid attention. And, and, and it has served me well over the course of my career. I'm resourceful. I'll go get you the answers. I don't have to know everything. I just have to know where to go get them. You know, and that's yeah. part of being authentic. You know, I, I'm not an expert. I don't like the term. 
I don't use it to describe myself. No. Yeah, I like that. And, the, you know, you, you, we've heard a thousand times the democratization of information and information should be free and, and all of that. And I think that a, a layer on top of that is who do we want that information, you know, who, who's going to deliver that to us? Who are we going to trust that's going to be the, the filter for that? So whether you call yourself an expert or, or whatever, uh, you have people who are, are choosing to follow you, choosing to tune in when you email them or, or ping them or whatever it is that you do to communicate with them. They're choosing whether they want to spend that precious, precious attention time <laughs> on you. And so, yeah, the personal branding thing within companies now has really taken off. You know, sometimes you don't learn who somebody works for, but they've been working on you the whole time to lead up to, hey, you guys got to go check this out. I really love these guys. And when somebody has made that connection with me, I am absolutely more than willing to click on that link because I already like you. I already thought you were awesome, and you're trying this, you, you, you've got this product or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it was made by you, now that we have a relationship and I respect you, then now I want to click on that link. It's hard work. It's harder than 10 years ago when we didn't have to, pay so much attention to that kind of stuff, but, but it, it still is a sure thing. If you have a relationship with somebody, they'll always click on what you want them to click on until your relationship weakens. If they go to some place right, that's not, uh, that doesn't get it for them, the next time you ask them, they might go, ah, I'm going to go over here first. I'll put this somewhere else. And then that's the beginning of the end where you have to reignite that relationship or you've lost it forever. <laughs> It's harder well, work, I think, and I think there's an institutional memory of when things weren't, that, weren't quite that difficult. We had other difficulties, but we didn't have to do all this paying attention to the re relationships and authenticity and all that stuff as closely as we do today, right? Well, and I, I think it's incumbent on us to use discernment in what we choose to, to, to go out and present to people. We can't do it indiscriminately, and we can't do it only for the money because ultimately that's going to fail. So, you know, I, I try to get involved in things that I actually have a passion about. And, you know, that, that does take time. That, that requires nurturing relationships. It's not, it's not the path to making a fast buck. And everybody wants instant gratification. That's part of the problem in this whole ecosystem is everybody wants instant gratification. And we've created an environment where they're getting it. They're getting that dopamine hit. And yeah. they've become accustomed to it. And they're so even convinced weed, that they're doing weed them, something. wean them off of that? It's hard. <laughs> it is. I guess this, you know, you, if you go to bed at night and you, and you kind of go back over your day, which people typically do, and you're like, all right, here's how I spent my time, here's how my day went, I really didn't get that much out of it. All the time it seemed like I was doing something. And at the time it seemed like it was rewarding, and it was on a dopamine level but I don't really have anything to show for it. And I think maybe that's one of the things that people get tired of that start these discussions about, I want something more out of the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, from businesses that I frequent or businesses I would like to frequent and, and services, or I want something more out of the information that I consume because it feels junky and the, and I at the end of the day, I just don't feel like I've got, I think this is all an opportunity for people who are like you really focused on, and don't have any time or energy or passion for anything other than being authentic and developing real relationships, you kind of stick out like a sore thumb on today's Internet, really. Sadly, yeah, that is I what's agree. unique. But that's, you know, I want to be able to feel good about the guy that's looking back at me in the mirror every morning. It's important to me. And, you know, I, it, I, I'm willing to make some sacrifices in order to make that happen. Yeah, and I think the, the balance is, is the when we talk about the. Yeah, when we talk about the guy with the rented Ferrari in front of the mansion he parked it in front of that doesn't mm -hmm. have anybody in it. Uh, for business owners, that guy stands for somebody who's not as interested in doing the things that we're doing the way that we do them through authenticity, building relationships, having, you know, giving something back to the world. We talk about that guy. We criticize that guy. But in the 
very depths of our hearts, we also know he's making a ton of sales right now. Yeah. And we are not. We are not making yep. a ton of sales right now. We're building something where we hope to make tons of sales at some point. So it's a real – it's almost like we're the mouse now. And it's like, wait, mm-hmm. should I go rent a Ferrari? And I'm, I'm using the Ferrari thing as a – whatever that would mean in your business. Sure. sure. To go rent a Ferrari, uh, which is basically selling out some part of your principles or whatever because that mm-hmm. you know that guy is – you don't like what he's doing. A lot of people say they don't like what he's doing. But he keeps doing it because he keeps making sales. And so whatever that represents in your you know, business, I think it's a big, strong temptation for a lot of people. It's just at least a source of resistance and frustration it's for us. It's the path of least Ferrari guy. mentality. It really yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. sadly, so it's you know, they're making, making a lot of money now, but is it sustainable? I don't believe it is. Yeah, you know, but with his attitude, he'll be back. <laughs> it may not be a Ferrari next time. If yeah, it doesn't maybe. work this way the next time, he'll he'll be back with some other kind of Ferrari level BS, and still probably figure out a way to relieve people from some of their money burdens. And and, and you, with you know, some crappy product. P.T. P. Barnum was right. <laughs> You know, there's one born every minute. So you you you, you know, yeah. as long, and as long as there are people who have disposable income, uh, there's going to be people out there trying to take it away from them. I mean, that's just right. the reality. Um, I don't care to play in that space. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I will leave it to the to the gurus. So if someone was getting ready to reassess or think about adding something to their platform, their publishing platform. Why would they come to you? What would they talk to you about? And what would you tell them about it? Well, I would tell them that, you know, we we have a vehicle for them. And that's really all it is. It's a tool. So like most things in life, you get out of it what you put into it. So if you're expecting a maximum return for the least amount of investment of time, probably not a good solution for you. And I don't know, you know, I don't believe that that magic bullet exists. Uh, I mean, there's lots of, every day I get uh, product launch uh, emails and and I get way too many emails, but that's all part of trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. And, you know, video marketing is, is the new thing right now. And there's new tools coming out that allow you to create decent quality and even high quality video from any digital source web pages, blogs, static photographs, video within video. They can be made interactive. Uh, they can be personalized. You know, I, I got in touch with a company who developed that type of technology last year that launched in January, and at that time they were the only one doing it. Now there's two or three other folks that are very close to what they developed originally. So, I mean, you know, it, it everything gets copied, and the amount of time that you have – to get to market and establish a presence is getting smaller and smaller with each passing quarter. Um, you know, if you don't go out and, and create a large buzz in the very early stages, chances are somebody's going to take your idea and clone it and probably beat you over the head with it. And they might not be yeah. doing it better, but they're going to monetize it better, and, and therein lies the issue. We have well, they, they have a yeah, they have a, a lot more energy than you for uh, a huge launch, and they'll they'll look like they're the first movers just because their launch eclipses yours. Exactly. So you know we have lots of competitors. We have had since we started three years ago. There's probably 30 people who have what what we refer to as print replica or page under glass digital publishing solutions. We are the only one that I'm aware of that has a fully interactive digital publishing solution, audio, video, text, graphics, infographics, animation, and live video within the confines of a digital publication. Oh, and by the way, we also created a fully interactive digital ad platform to go along with it. So you can have fully interactive, e-commerce-capable digital ads in your publication. Both are very unique to us. But again, you know, we will be copied at some point in the near future. I have no doubt about that. It hasn't happened yet, but that's not to say that, you know, it won't be. 
you know, we've been doing it for a long time. We just don't have the exposure. So, shame again, as I said earlier, shame on us. So we have a, well, you know. Michael, to, this, this has been a phenomenal call and show. Unfortunately, we are out of time. So let's remind our listeners where they can find you. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Uh, I have, have long-term presences on all of them. I am a, I'm a personal big fan of guerrilla marketing. I don't spend any money, not a single dime, on advertising, and I never have. I'm a unicorn in that respect, and I understand that. And I'm out promoting things like a list building service that will allow you to grow a list. I don't even have an email list, to be perfectly honest with you. Wow. I have That's I have awesome. a I have a vast database of people I communicate with on a regular basis, but it is not a formal email list. And another nice place to go and check you out is MagTitan, M-A-G-T-I-T-A-N dot com. Yes, sir. And DigitalDirectLeads.com is the list building service. Awesome. Well, we will well, definitely thank you so be much. staying in touch, Michael. I look forward yeah. to it, guys, and I want to uh, want to thank you again for having me on today. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience, and I hope they got some benefit out of it. Go ahead with what you were saying. Oh, Matt. absolutely. No, I'm just ready to have him back. I think we only just uh, we dealt with the tip of the iceberg today, so it would be great to talk to you again in the future as well. I would be happy to come on at 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 your convenience. And we'll be back next week, same time, same place. Have a great week, everybody. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.